serve a God that is victorious. He's already defeated death, hell, and the grave. Yeah. You guys pray with me. God, we thank you that you are a God that is victorious. God, no matter what situation or what circumstances we walked in here with today, God, no matter what battle we're facing, God, I thank you that you've already written the end of the story. And the end of the story is we are victorious in Jesus' name. And so we thank you in advance for what you're going to do here in this place. God, my prayer is, is that you would speak to each and every one of us today in a new and a profound and a, a way that changes our perspective that allows you to th- us to see the things that you're trying to get us to see in our lives. God, I pray that today your presence and your power would be here and it would change and it would transform us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Why don't you give two or three people a high five, tell them what's up and take a seat. You guys are doing good at that. I said two or three, not seven. Some of y'all are like a little more social than the other groups. But uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're here with us. And uh, man, I'm I'm pumped over the last, uh, we've been in a season as a church. We're in 21 days of prayer and fasting. Today is our seventh day. And it has been amazing. I was at prayer yesterday morning. Absolutely incredible. And uh, I want to encourage you. I, I think it's important for us as individuals to seek God first in the beginning of the year and maybe you haven't been participating in prayer and fasting, listen, there's 14 days left. Jump in right here, right now. Maybe you're not going to get all 21, but you're going to get some. And and something is better than nothing. And I think it's important for us to seek after God. So I'd encourage you to participate in that every day, Monday through Friday, 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. There's people in here praying, believing God for some incredible things. And then on Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m., we're here, we're praying. and, And I believe that it will change your life. You start to connect with the creator of the universe, it will begin to change you. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Also, uh, we are beginning a brand new series today, and and I need your help. On every single one of your chairs is a card that looks like this. If you would take it out and kind of wave it in the air for me, wave it in the air so I see that you've got it. I I can see you, so I can see if you're not waving it. Just FYI, I know some of y'all think you're sneaky. I can see you. I can see you, Vitors. Come on, come on, put it up in the air. There you go. Okay, I, I'll, I see. I will call you out, even if you're an MMA fighter. Doesn't matter. Uh, and, and so, okay, here's what I need from you. We're gonna do a, a little bit of a, a of of seeing what's going on. I, I have some questions for you, and I want to know this year if you've quit some things or if you're going to quit some things just by a show of your car. So throw them up in the air. And the first one is this: is how many of you have quit listening to both political parties? Any, any people in there? Are like I'm there. I'm there. My car's up. I'm like tired of it. I'm done with it. We got ten more months of it, and then we can have some freedom there for a moment. How about this one? How many of you have quit carbs? If you quit carbs, put them up in the air. Put them up in the air. These uh, keep them up in the air. See, these are the people right now. Look around if they're heart is up in there. These are the most miserable people here. (laughs) They hate their life right now. They will bite your head off. They had no idea of their love affair with carbs until they quit it. You know, it's it's messing them up right now. How about this? How many of you quit The Bachelor or some other show this year? Like no service. There's some people throwing their head. There's a couple of ladies that are like, I'll admit it. I'll put it up. And one gentleman. Good for you, sir. I'm glad you finally quit The Bachelor. The rest of you, I'm ashamed of you right now. How many of you like The Bachelor in here? Uh, how about this? How many of you have quit cats? Right there. That, that right there. These are all the spiritual people right here. They heard, from, uh, heard the voice of the Lord. How about this one? How many of you have already quit your New Year's resolution? 
Go ahead. Where are, the, where are the honest people at? There's a couple of honest people in there, a couple of you out there. The rest of y'all, we're going to pray for you at the end of service. Might get delivered. But uh, what's interesting is in church, the tendency is, is the church and, and pretty much everywhere in life will tell you things you need to start. Like you should start uh, going to church. You should start being joyful. You should start serving. You should start being j- generous in life. And, and this time of year, it's really, really natural to want to start new things. And in fact, I think it's really encouraging that the beginning of the year, it's a great opportunity for new beginnings and fresh starts and new starts. And, and I'm all about starting things like, in fact, this week I figured out that I'm like one of the best starters in the world. Anybody else out there with me? I'm not a great finisher, but man, starting, I'm your man. You just need to start something. Come talk to me. We will help you get started finishing different story. But I was thinking about that because I was thinking about the new year. Man, there are so many things we should start and I think you should go for it. But at the same time, I think the challenge is, is if I was to ask you about your 2019 and I would say, hey, how was your 2019? The majority of us in this room would say, you know what, my, my 2019 was, was a good year. It's a good year. Like it was, things went pretty well. Uh, but there would be a caveat that a lot of us would put on there. We'd go, man, 2019 was good, but busy. Like it was a good year, but it was a busy year. And then maybe there would be some of you that would be a little bit more honest and go, you know what, Pastor TJ, 2019 was not a good year, and it was busy. And this busyness, packed out schedule kind of mentality is running rampant in our culture today. And so you, what happens is, is you have these busy, jam-packed, full schedules and lives And what you do in the beginning of the year is you go, you know what, I'm going to add a whole bunch of new things to my already maxed out schedule. And some of those things that you want to add are actually great things. In fact, some of those things that you want to add are really, really good things. In fact, some of those things are God-inspired things. Some of you are like, you know what, this is the year that I'm going to grow spiritually. Like, this is the year that I'm committing to grow spiritually. And I know this for a fact, but you don't just happen to, like, drift into spiritual maturity. If you want to be spiritually mature in your life and you want to grow spiritually, it's going to require some time. It's going to require time in God's word. It's going to require time in prayer, in community. There are going to be some things that you're going to have to do that if you want that in your life. And so while there are some things that you really, really want to do in your life, the reality is is your schedule is so jam-packed in life that there is no room for you to add one more thing. And so what this series is all about is, is, is what if the process for all of us to have a, a happier, a healthier, a, a, a more successful 12 months is not so much coming from what we vow to do, but what we choose to quit. What if what we want in life is going to come from the decisions that we make to quit some things this year? Because I don't know if you realize this or not, but the two most powerful words In our vocabulary are the words yes and no. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but yes is a complete sentence. No is a complete sentence. And what if this year the dreams that we have and the goals that we have and the aspirations that we have are not going to come from us just working a little bit harder, but it's going to come from the process of us realizing that, man, we cannot continue to approach decision-making in our life the way we've always approached it. 
We can't approach change the way that we have always approached it. In fact, there's going to be have to do something different this year in our lives because the change that we're looking for is going to come in the decisions that we make. And the decisions that we make are creating the schedules that we have. And the schedules that we have are creating our lives. And so I want to talk to us a little bit today about how do we quit, why do we quit, and maybe more importantly, what is the process in which we make decisions in life? Because those decisions are impacting so much more than we realize or recognize. And we're going to spend some time in a passage of Scripture in Joshua chapter 14. If you want to turn in your Bibles there, or you can look in your worship guide that's on your seat, or you can pay attention to the screen. Let me set this up for what's happening. Popular story in the Bible. This is the back end of it that most people don't ever read. But the front end of it is, is, is there's this guy named Moses. He's leading the children of Israel out of Egypt to the promised land. They're getting close to the promised land. And he decides, I'm going to send 12 spies into the land to check it out. And so he sends 12 spies in. They go in. They look around the land. The land is flowing with milk and honey, just like God said. I have no idea what that looks like, but I want to see it someday. Like, what does a land flowing with milk and honey look like? Anybody know? It would be kind of slow, if, in my opinion. Honey just does not move very fast. And so it's like awesome. It, it's, it's all that in a bag of chips. Like it is everything that God wanted, said it would be. But yet when they go into the land, they see that there are giants and there are fortified cities. And so they come back and they bring a report. And 10 of the spies that went into the land, they bring a report back to Moses based on their confidence. Their confidence was very, very low that they had the skills, the ability, the military uh, proudness to be able to go in and take these these people that were already there and so they came back and said hey Moses there's no way that we could do this we're not confident at all in our abilities to do this but yet there was two guys named Joshua and Caleb they came back and they said listen listen we know that this land God has called us to it we believe it let's go take it right now but like in most scenarios, the majority outweighed the minority, and they chose not to go into the land. And so for 40 years, they watered it in the desert. Now we're, we're 40 plus years afterwards where we're picking up the story. And Joshua and Caleb are having a conversation. And Caleb is actually speaking to Joshua here in Joshua chapter 14, starting in verse 7. It says this, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. I brought him back a report according to my convictions. That's an important word right there, his convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever. Because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said that to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I don't know about you, but at 85 years old, I want to be having statements like this. Man, and I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. And I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. And so there are a couple of things out of this passage that I think are really, really critical principles for us when it comes to decision-making that if we can grab hold of will radically transform how we approach 2020 and things we need to keep and things we need to quit in our lives. If you're taking notes, number one, we have to be driven by convictions, not confidence. 
We've got to be driven by convictions, not confidence. In verse 7, it says, I brought back a report according to my convictions, not according to his confidence. Now, the other 10 spas, what did they do? They brought back a report based on their confidence, based on their ability, based on what they perceived they were going to be able to do. But Caleb said, no, 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 that's not what I reported. I came back and reported something based on my conviction, my conviction, the fact that God was with me, that God was for me, that God had called me to that. And so I said, let's go take the land while everybody said, let's stay at home. Because I brought a report based on my conviction, not my confidence. Now, it's interesting because all 12 spas went and saw the same thing. They saw the incredible land. They saw everything there. They also saw all the same obstacles. It's not like some people saw obstacles and nobody else saw these giants that were in the land in fortified cities. They're like, oh, I missed that. If I would have known that, I would have changed my plan. That isn't the case. They all saw the same thing. But some came back with, with conviction and some came back and gave a report based on confidence. Now, if you're really honest with yourself, and I hope that you are, most of your decision-making in life, in your career, in your family, in, in, your, in your parenting, is based on your confidence. I feel confident I can do that. I feel confident I can't do that, right? Okay, I need a little bit of feedback here. Y'all are a little bit too quiet right now. Like, this is not a rhetorical question. I actually want you to respond back to me. Right? We make decisions based on our confidence, right? Yeah. Or am I the only one? Okay. No, we make decisions based on confidence. And so where does that confidence come from? For the majority of us, our confidence comes from the affirmation or belief of other people. From the words of other people. From other people's beliefs in us. Because I'm pretty sure that you're like me. Every time I'm faced with a major decision in life, the tendency of my life is to chart out a course and then I'll go to some people that are further ahead of me in life and I'll go, hey, here's the scenario I'm dealing with. Here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? And they're going to give me a report back based on their confidence in my ability to achieve that thing. And here's the thing, a lot of us, we make decisions based on that, and that's okay, that's a wise move a lot of times, but sometimes there's going to be moments when God says something, and it's not going to be a based on people's confidence, but your conviction in what he says. And the conviction is way different than what people are going to say. For instance, the majority of us travel in a herd mentality. Let me explain that. There is a herd mentality happening every single day of our lives where the majority are traveling in this direction. And one of the biggest herds that is out there is this thing called culture. And it drives us to look a certain way, drive a certain thing, uh, try to achieve certain things. Why? Because culture tells us that's the way to go. And what happens for the majority of us is we're traveling along with the herd. And all of a sudden, God speaks something to us, he says something, there's an unction, there's a word that comes into our heart. And in that moment, the herd is traveling this way, and you hear God say something over there, and all of a sudden, you start to break off. 
Now, what's going to happen in that moment is the tendency is, is because we live in a herd mentality. The reason a herd is so successful is because there is safety in the herd. And when everybody's together, it's best that we all survive together. And the moment you start breaking off because of the mentality of the herd, it's not because they don't like you or don't, don't respect you or don't love you. The natural tendency of a herd, anytime you break off, is going to be to criticize. Like, what are you doing over there? That's not where you're supposed to be. And if your life has been built on the confidence of the approval of other people, the moment that you break off with some conviction based on God has told me to do something and they start being critical of you and your life has been built on their confidence, the moment they're critical, what are you going to do? You're going to fall right back in line with the herd. It's why so many people end up with mediocre lives. Because there's got to be this moment within every single one of us that we're not living our life based on the confidence of others, but on the conviction of who God says we are and what God has called us to. And that's going to be greater and more powerful than what people are going to say because we're not called to look like this world. We're called to be in it but not be like it. Which means there's got to be some difference in our life. That we've got to be willing to go off on a different path because God has called us to be different. So you're not going to look, act, talk, and do everything like everybody else. you got to think about these guys. you got to think about they're all in the land together. And they're traveling back, and ten of the guys are like, guys, we're, we're never going to be able to do this. I mean, these, these people are overwhelming. It's, it's crazy. Like, we've got to go back and report to the people that they're going to slaughter us if we go in there. And, and Joshua and Caleb are like, hey, guys, uh, I'm sorry. We don't agree with your fear-based reporting. We're actually going to go the other direction. So see you. Peace out. We're going to buck the system. You were, can you imagine how awkward that was for them? It's going to be that awkward for you, but you know what it's going to do? It's going to change your life. Number two, we got to choose to be proactive, not reactive. Choose to be proactive, not reactive. And this is real practical, but I think it has some huge spiritual implications in our life. I think most of our life, how we live, how we plan, how we schedule, how we respond is a very reactive way in life. Let me give you an example. I think email explains this completely. I was talking to a guy last month, and uh, we were talking about his life, and he's like, my life is just completely out of my act. My, my days, I don't feel like I'm ever accomplishing anything. And I was like, take me through your day. And he's like, well, I get up, I get all the kids ready, I go to work, and I open my computer, and there comes up an email, and I feel like I spend the rest of my day responding to email. And he's like, I'm never accomplishing the goals that I have at work because all I'm doing is responding to email. And I'm like, you're right, because all you're doing is reacting to the requests and the demands of people around you. And here's what I know is you're never going to escape email. Like email should be on your to-do list. It shouldn't just be your to-do list or that text message or that phone call or whatever other medium is infiltrating your life. Because what you're doing is you're, de- you're reacting to the demands of the people and things around you. Hey, do you know this right now that your cell phone that's in your pocket, you will touch this thing 2,617 times today. That's the average amount of time a person touches this a day. Now, if you're touching your cell phone 2,617 times a day, who do you think is running your life? 
What do you think is running your life? That piece of junk. And what we're doing is, is every time we get a ding, every time we get a buzz, every time it rings, what are we doing? We're reacting. Oh, my gosh. Who, who, who might have tweeted today? Who, who Instagram post? Who liked my post, right? Come on, now I'm talking about some of you ladies right now. And some of you guys as well, because I, I saw your Instagram post. You're like, nobody liked it. That's because you're waiting for, you, you need reaction. When you live reactively instead of proactively, you know how you end up? You end up completely unhealthy. Why? Because you're living your life based on the demands of other people. And here's what I know, is that some of you, you are so worn out in life. And you're worn out and you're like, does anybody notice? Unfortunately, no. You want to know why? Because people don't care about the, the health of your soul. They don't care about your emotional health. People don't care about your physical health. You know what they care about? They're not looking at you and going, you know what? Like, I'm not going to throw one more thing on you because you just look so overwhelmed right now. You know what they're thinking? Well, if I can get that thing off of me and on them, that's way better for me. And so what they will do is hurl one more thing on your life. And because all you're doing is reacting to the demands and requests of other people, you're going to try to take that thing on. And some of you right now, you're so overwhelmed and overburdened in life. Like all the requests and demands, you can't even meet them all. And what's even sadder is you feel bad about it. And you are absolutely exhausted. I don't know if you've caught this in that passage of Scripture, but in verse 11... Caleb says something that's really interesting. He says, I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. I don't know why God goes out of his way to go, hey, at 85, Caleb is ready to go. But I think what we're seeing here is a, the result of an individual. He did not live his life reactively, but proactively. It's why at 85, he has the energy and the zeal of a 40-year-old. And he's like, man, I'm rearing and I'm ready to go. Why? Because I, I've set up some things called boundaries in my life. Where I'm not going to be reacting to your demands all the time. I'm going to set up some things in my life where, where there are some insulation from me just reacting to everything. And I'm going to start to take control of my life. And what happens when you start to take control of your life? You're not going to everybody's requests. You're not running to everybody's off the whim, like demand of your life. And all of a sudden what happens when you start to do that is you create this amazing thing called margin. Or white space where there is a gap between what's happening and where you're at. And you have a choice. Am I going to continue to, to react or am I going to be proactive and get ahead of this game? 
I love what Lisa Turkhurst said. She said this. She said, the decisions that we make dictate the schedules we keep. And the schedules we keep determine the lives we live. See, the decisions that you're making right now are dictating the schedules that you keep. And that schedule that you're keeping is creating the life that you live. And I I want you to understand that what we're talking about in this whole idea of I quit, it isn't about quitting things, but how do we honor God with the time that we have? How do we begin to honor God and create some boundaries and some margins? Because I know what it's like. I'm not speaking from just an idea. I'm speaking from a reality and the satisfaction of knowing what it's like to have a schedule in a life that is completely out of control, dictated by the whims and the desires of other people. I know what it's like, man. I used to, you would call, you're in a, you're in a crazy, painful situation. Your spouse is, 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 your marriage is not going well. And you would call me up and I would, I would rush over to your house. Why? Because I was at the demands of people. And you're like, isn't that what a pastor is supposed to be? No. I started asking questions like, hey, how long has your marriage been bad? Six months. You think it'll be bad tomorrow? Probably. Okay, well then I'll talk to you tomorrow. Well, pastor, that's not very pastorly. Yes, it is. You want to know why? Because I've created margin in my life. And if I were to walk out at that moment, you know what I'd be walking out on? A date with my wife that would keep my marriage healthy so I can actually help yours. But so many of us have been, been demanded by people and things that our life is a mess. It's time for us to stop being reactive and start being proactive by creating some margin in our lives. And what you're going to do when you begin to do that is you're going to start to heal the deepest part of who you are, your soul. See, because right now you think that you have a physical problem or an emotional problem or a mental problem. No, no, no. You don't have those problems. You have a soul level problem. Because the first thing that when you begin living a marginless life where you're maxed out, the first thing that's going to go is your connection to God. Because there is no room for him in a schedule that's maxed out. Number three, you got to live your life to be loving, not loved. Live your life to be loving, not loved. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not very good at this one. Um, I I know that that's that's not a great way to start this, but... So much of my life I've convinced myself that by living with a crazy schedule and by running to the demands of people all the time, what I was doing is I was being loving. Like I was trying to love them by doing all that. And over time what I realized is that I was, I was actually not being loving, living that kind of schedule. What I was doing is I was living in a way so that people would love me. And here's what I know about you. The vast majority of you are not living your life to be loving. You're living your life to be loved. Anytime your life and the demands of it to be loved are at the front and center of it, what that means is that anytime somebody asks you to do anything because you desire to be loved, it will take every ounce of time out of your life. And you'll learn that you can never say the most important word that you need to learn how to say, and it's the word no. In fact, some of you have never said no to somebody else when they've given you a demand or a request. It's always yes. Why? Because I want to be loving 
No, you don't. You just want to be loved. And anytime we make our lives all about being loved, we end up getting the life sucked out of us. Because as much as I want Shayla to love me, Shayla does not have enough love in her to love me to the amount that I need. Why? Because she was never designed to fill that void. I wish she would. I wish she'd get up her game a little bit, help me out a little bit. Slacking. Not really. She's great. But so many of us, we're putting unrealistic demands on other people. When God has not called us to be loved by others, but be loving towards them. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16 says this. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, which, by the way, would be like the best New Year's resolution ever, if any of y'all want to take that up. Uh, Good luck with that one. So that you may become blameless and pure. That's the goal. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. He says, then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. I love, I love this phrasing. It says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. And Paul is using a phrasing that Jesus used all throughout his ministry. And that is that we are to live in such a way that our lives are a light. And that only happens in your life, when you're living a fulfilled life as an individual, when you're living to be loving, not based on how people love you. The only time you can be light is when you realize that, man, I'm out there to give love, not out there to try to get love. And this is about creating margin. This is about creating space. This is about you getting rid of some things in life. In fact, I put it on your outline like this. Sometimes you have to empty your routine of some things you don't need so God can fill up your heart with the things you do need. Sometimes you've got to be willing to get rid of some things in your life that you think are really, really good. And listen, some of the things that we're going to talk about quitting over the next couple of weeks are good things. And you're going to be like, TJ, why would I get rid of a good thing? Because that good thing is keeping you from God's best thing. And the greatest enemy to your purpose and plan that God has for you is you settle for good when God's got better. And good will hinder us from experiencing the life that we need to have. It's one of the reasons why we have to quit some things. So we can experience that in our lives. One of, the, one of the guys that has impacted me a lot based on his writing and different things is a guy named Bob Goff. Uh, he wrote an incredible book called Love Does. And, and then he talks about how every Thursday is a great day. He says Thursday is a great day to quit things. And the other day he posted this, and I just thought I'd throw it up there. He says Bob Goff's Thursday to-do list, love God, love people, quit something. And then he put this line that it just blew me. We can't change much if we don't quit much can't change much if we don't quit much. The internal change that we're looking for and the external change that we are so desiring will not happen in your life unless you don't begin to create some margin and some white space in your life for the things that matter most, which means you've got to eliminate some things that matter the least. And part of the problem in our day and our age is, is that there's this thing called busyness that, man, is ruining a lot of our lives. And busyness promises a lot of things that it cannot deliver. In fact, a lot of us have bought into the, some of the lies of busyness. Busyness promises us that, man, if you're busy today, you know what you'll have tomorrow? You'll have extra time. But busyness does not equate to extra time. I'm just going to tell you that right now. 
So many of you think, man, if this Monday through Friday, man, if I just grind it out and I put in some extra hours and I do all of this stuff, then on Friday, I'm going to have all of this extra time. And so what you do is you grind out and then you get to Friday and you're like, I should have 28 hours today. But how many of y'all know we still have 24? Why? Because busyness has gotten you to buy into the illusion that if you just cram more into your schedule here, then you're going to have all of this freedom here. But you know what you have there? More work. It promises you something that it can't deliver on. And so what you end up with is instead of more time, you have more headaches, more anxiety, more anxious thoughts, more anger. Busyness also promises, it says, man, if, you, if you're busy, you're valuable. And busyness has become like a badge of honor. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm busy. Oh, man, good job. It's awesome. You know how I many people, hey, how's your day going? Oh, man, it's so busy. Dude, you are so awesome. But that's how we, we tell everybody, like, like, you're not valuable unless you're busy. Like, if you don't have a million things going on, then you're, you're worthless in this life. That's what busyness tells us. But I'm here to tell you, your busyness does not equate your value. Listen. Your value isn't based on what you do. It's in based on who you are. And no amount of work can give you value but the one who created you. And he's the one who determines your value in life. And some of us need to stop buying into the lies that are out there about us. And so I want to do something I haven't done at Coastal in a, quite a long time. But it's, it's kind of coming from my Catholic roots. And so I want to take a moment here and I just want to do a mass confessional and what's going to happen is, is I want us to do this because I think it's important because a lot of us think that man I'm the only one that's out there and, and you're just not and I want you to know that this is a safe place like this is a place for jacked up messed up people and this church is full of jacked up, messed up people. And maybe you're here and you're like, I'm not jacked up or messed up. I'm here to tell you, yes, you are. <laughs> you're welcome. Welcome to the club. But here's what I want to do is I want to ask you to raise your hand and just kind of keep it in the air as, as I read these words, if they might describe your life to some extent. So would you raise your hand if the word overcommitted might describe part of your life? Yeah, a lot of hands going up. Just keep them up, just keep them up. Raise your hand if the word overburdened might describe your life. All those that had their hands up before, keep them up. Some of y'all are slipping on me. I don't want to be a burden, but I need you to keep them up, okay? Would you slip your hand up if... Maybe the word overwhelmed might describe part of your life. This is the one that typically gets everybody. Yeah. Now I want you to just take a minute with your hands raised. I want you just to look around. 
It's a lot of people with their hands up and in there. Listen, you need to know that you're not alone. You can go ahead and put your hands down. There's other people that are dealing with the things that you're dealing with. That's, that's an important thing. But the second thing is even more important. And it's something that Jesus said, and it's a promise for you and I today. And it's found in Matthew chapter 11. He says this. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens. And I will give you rest. Jesus right here is giving this invitation to those of us that are overcommitted and overburdened and overwhelmed. And here's what he says. He says, just come to me. I think the reason Jesus said this is because he knew that so many things would be pulling us towards in so many different directions. He says, I know everything's pulling you every sort of way in life. But here's what I need you to do. Just turn around and come to me. Just come to me. And this is what he says. And he says, take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Now what's interesting is this. Jesus says, I want to give you something. I want to give you rest. And this isn't the kind of rest that you're going to get from a two-hour power nap this afternoon during the football games. This isn't the kind of rest that you're going to get from a week vacation in Bora Bora. Why, that would maybe be nice. See, the, that's, a, that's a physical thing that you're experiencing. What I want to do is I want to give you a rest that is so much deeper, that is at the soul level. Because what you're experiencing in life with the overwhelmed and overcommitted and overburdened isn't just a, a physical tiredness. Man, it's a soul-level tiredness. And all you have to do to begin to experience the healing and the transformation and the life change that you so desperately need is just to come. Come to me. And so that's what we're going to do right here with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, I know that there's so many in here right now that are living lives that are overcommitted and overburdened and overwhelmed. That the chaos of the day just seems to continually ensue their lives and There's a tension that is so much bigger than just a physical level. It's at the soul level. And you say that when we're in that spot, all we have to do is we have to come to you. And so, Jesus, we come. And we lay our lives, we lay our schedules, we lay our burdens down at your feet. And, God, right now, I just pray that the peace that surpasses all understanding would begin to flood people's souls right now in the name of Jesus. God, that the storms that are going on would be calmed in an instant.
And that, God, you would begin to satisfy the depths of who they are. With a rest that is so much greater than a power nap because it's a rest that comes from an encounter with you. That you would begin to rejuvenate. That you would begin to restore. That you would begin to refresh hearts and lives that have been worn out through the running and gunning of just a little bit more. God, that we would find everything that we need in you. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us up from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. God, that we would be empowered by you. We'd be changed by you.